Yes, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome to the Richie Allen Radio Show for Thursday, as the 29th of February 2024. Are you well? You are. You're good, you're good. Thanks for finding me. Let's do it then. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, I've invited the Irish politician, the Irish human rights activist, Ben Gilroy, back to the Richie Allen Show. Ben will join me. It's uh, all been kicking off in Kildare uh, this week. We'll talk to Ben about that. We'll look ahead to the forthcoming referendums or referenda in Ireland on March 8th. I think it's March 8th. That would be the Friday, right? Yeah, so Ben Gilroy will join me this hour. Before that, lots for you and me to digest, to divulge. No, I'll be divulging. We'll digest together. Lots to get into. Let's do it right now. Then, yeah, I'm in good form. I'm a wee bit discombobulated, you see. I'll tell you why later on. Nothing n- nothing too exciting or anything. But um, there, there have been one or two technical changes here for me, for the benefit of me, in, in terms of how I hear the radio show. And I'm a bit discombobulated. It's all a bit mad. I don't mind telling you. Anyway, I hope you're well. If you were born on this day, first of all, happy birthday. Uh, you are known as a leapling. That is how people refer to you. You're a leapling. My mate, Matty Calderwood, Salford's finest and British Army best in class. Matty Calderwood is 20 today, the little faker. He's got it all, you know. The boy is ripped. He's got a ripped body. He's got the looks and he's boxing for the army. He's travelling the world. In fact, he'll be heading off to Australia soon with the army team. Amazing. Happy birthday, Matt. Hope you have a fantastic day, pal. He's in training, so he won't be drinking later on. And that's uh, from Tracy and Baz, your brothers and your sister. He's a great lad. Good neighbour, you know. Black people, well, they must have plays all by themselves. At least twice a month. At least twice a month we should reserve theatres for black people to watch plays free from the dreaded white gaze that black people managed to deal with for the last five million years, but now they can't handle it. What's this all about? There is a controversial slave play, and that's the title. It's called Slave Play. It did very well on Broadway. It was nominated for 12 Tonys, didn't win a single one, funnily enough. It's coming to England, to thee, to thee, to thee. I can't remember the name of the theatre. It'll come to me in a moment. Uh, to the Bet Gilroy Theatre. That's the one, yes. To the Sue Pollard Theatre. No, no, it's not. It's something else. Anyway, so it's coming, Slave Play. It stars Game of Thrones, Hunk, Kit Harrington. He is a hunk. Uh, it's due to have two blackout nights where only black identifying audience members are welcome. Uh, The producer said it was so they could experience and discuss an event, quote, free from the white gaze. And we don't mean white gaze now, white homosexuals. We mean gaze, G-A-Z-E. Yeah, it's not good either way. If it was the gaze they didn't want, that wouldn't be good either. It's, um, 
Where is it coming to? I can't remember. It's in Hammersmith, is it? I don't know. I should know because I've read the story a thousand times. Anyway, so free from the gaze of white people, we want to enjoy this play, which is about couples who are struggling, coming together for therapy, and they role-play slavery and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a real barrel of laughs, doesn't it? In any case, a couple of nights, there won't be any whites there, so the blacks can enjoy it without white people. Narinder Kaur is a woman of colour. She is a descendant of Silius Sodus. Silius Sodus, yes, remember. She was on LBC today. The interviewer is Jabba the Hutt. Have a listen. She explains why it isn't woke nonsense, why it's very important that the blacks can have the theatre to themselves. Narinder Kaur. We need to encourage theatre spaces for black audiences and even working-class audiences because these spaces have been taken up by white middle-class audiences who historically have been racist. Um, this I'm, is a, I'm sorry, you can't say that an audience is racist, Narinda. Historically. How, how, how his, can you say that 2,500 people in the London Palladium are racist? Good question. Historically, white audiences have been known for their racism. Yeah, that, we, we often talk about that, don't we? It often comes up. Historically, you know that white audiences are known for their racism, you know, yeah. Tell me how tell me how they have been known for their racism. Well, good question. Historically, I mean, Nick, I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about the history of racism. Because I can't. Racism, because I'm sure you can, you can find out, you no, can think of your no, own... Narinda, I'm, I'm sorry, Narinda, Narinda, I have to represent all of my listeners and why it's important to explore what this might achieve. And that was actually my first question. I'll have a lot of people who go to the theatre on a regular basis. They'll be a little offended. You're suggesting that they're all perpetuating some racist trope. A little? No, I said, I, I said that theatre spaces have historically been white spaces and we need to encourage black audiences. Uh, this is two nights only, two okay, nights only. Uh, a uh, play, uh, uh, a, can we not have two nights to ourselves free from the white gaze, Nick? No, Nick, uh, let me finish. A play about slavery. A play about slavery where black audiences, they respectfully ask for just two nights where they can sit in a theatre without white <laughs> gaze. What I'm seeing is white people all of a sudden on their bandwagon, this is racism, this is segregation. You are actually missing the entire point. Yeah, I'm not calling it racism, I'm just calling it abject stupidity. That's what it is. And then she says this. Well, black people who have had, may feel triggered about a play about slavery. And black people go to watch a play about slavery, might be triggered, they could benefit. And if they're surrounded by an audience of white people, they may not feel comfortable. And I'm... Ah, they mightn't feel comfortable. They might look at the stage, at the slavery being portrayed there. They might look around and see white people and they might think, shit, it's happening again is what Narinder is telling us. Really surprised people can't understand that. Because She's really, really surprised that you and I don't get it. I feel it's basic, human nature. Imagine they actually, lastly, I will give you a space, and we're not, they're not asking for much. Tonight, and you can't even understand that. Yeah. Crazy woman. Mad woman. Plenty of them around as well. We'll hear from another one in a moment. Yeah. Silly cow. There's no cure for that, you know. Scientists have been trying for years. To, to, to isolate the silly cow gene so they can do something about it. They've never found it. Nor have they found the lazy cow gene either. Or the dozy cow gene. They're, I hope they never find the filthy cow gene, by the way. He says, this is a family programme. The time is nearly eight minutes past the hour. Can you just understand that people of colour want two nights to the theatre all by themselves? 
so that we can fucking watch the play without looking around and seeing white people. No, I can't, you fucking lunatic, you. Hey, speaking of batshit, crazy, middle-aged, middle-class, bored, shitless women. Do you like that? Could I say that again? I didn't write it down. Speaking of batshit, crazy, middle-aged, middle-class, bored, shitless women. You know the women? The kids have fled the nest. The husband legged it years ago. You're so bored, you're uncorking the wine earlier and earlier and earlier. You're in a bit of a rut, really. So what do you do? You join Just Stop Oil. Mad women. Uh, the government wants new laws to protect MPs. We have mob rules, says Richie Sunak, the Prime Minister. Now, Fiona Atkinson, one of these women I just described, batshit, crazy, middle-aged, middle-class, bored, shitless women, she's one of them, Fiona Atkinson, um, she was on Times Radio with the presenter Kate McCann to discuss if it's appropriate to go and protest outside the homes of MPs if the MPs just won't bloody well listen to you. Madwoman number two, Fiona Atkinson from Just Stop Oil. Good girl. We are profoundly disappointed in our politicians' response to the biggest threat to humanity. Um, they're breaking their own rules on this. They're failing to protect us from climate breakdown. We've had the, one of the wettest Februarys in England ever. We've got crops drowning in our fields. <laughs> no, we haven't. We've got people unable to insure their homes because of the repetitive yeah. floods. Um, Can I just got, bring oh, you back on, to... I'm going to say, so I'm going to say that if in the end people cannot get that message through to their politicians, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, it's a good question. If the, if the MPs just won't listen, what are we supposed to do? What are we left with, says the mad woman? Surely it's okay to go and stand outside their houses until they get the bloody message is that it's been a wet February. We're all going to die. You can't protest sitting at home. Well, I think actually there are, there are lots of things that people can do and there are I've lots of ways all. to... I'm hang really on, excuse me, excuse me, no, please, please don't all. do that. There are lots of things that people can do. There are lots of ways to protest in a democracy. And for many people, they, they take advantage of them. They go on marches, they write letters, they campaign, they publicly protest, which is perfectly within the law. I think there is a problem, though, and many MPs are suggesting that they now feel they need private security because they are afraid and their families are afraid. And surely you must be able to understand, hearing from Tobias Alwood there, who has directly experienced this, that standing outside the family home of a Member of Parliament is not acceptable. Mad woman? I, I don't think it's acceptable to sign off new gas and oil licences when every scientist, every top climate scientist in the world is screaming at our politicians. So you have no concerns at all about MPs who, who say that they fear I for their do. lives? Of course I do. I'm a human being. I'm a 68-year-old grandma with a 12-year-old uh, granddaughter who I care about. I care about all children, all families everywhere. And if Tobias and the other politicians really engaged with the threat of climate crisis, do you know what? They wouldn't be sitting in their homes frightened of a few people who might come with a letter, which is what we're planning, by the way, they'd be out with us. They'd be using the biggest house, the Houses of Parliament. They'd be, they'd be pushing to get change. They don't get it. They're not engaging with it. And also... Can Years ago, we used to sign people like her in. That is how it was referred to. We just sign them in, into the local sanitarium. Just go in for a couple of weeks for a rest, love. You're, you're a bit mad. Can I just say, you don't get it? 
presenters don't get it, journalists don't get it, you would not be asking me this question with this tone in your voice of disapproval if you understood the threat that climate breakdown is to climate all, breakdown. all of us. None of us are safe in our homes. So, yes, I feel for Tobias, but we're not living in normal times. These are not normal times. We will be turning up at the doors of MPs and handing them letters, telling them to do something about the heavy rainfall. Yeah, what did I say her name was? Fiona Atkinson. Just stop oil. They haven't gone away, you know. We haven't heard much from them of late, but they haven't gone away. This is the Richie Allen Show. The time is 12 and one half minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Ben Gilroy, live from somewhere in Ireland. Soon enough, let's move on to talk about something else. Let's leave the mad people. So this is, this is not funny. You may have been following this this afternoon, this morning. The health ministry in Gaza says that that even more than 100,000 Palestinians have been killed while waiting for aid in northern Gaza. So the ministry there is blaming Israeli forces for the deaths, right? It was all to do with a crowd becoming very excited when a truck came in with aid on it. Uh, Journalists there are saying Israeli forces fired at the crowd. The Israelis are saying, well... We did open fire because some people in the crowd moved towards the IDF soldiers in a way that was endangering the troops, right? They, they went on to say then that the driver of the lorry happened to speed up and run over lots of people, is that it wasn't really the Israeli gun fire that did it, but 104 people apparently were killed today. Now that means that more than 30,000 people at least have been killed in Gaza in the last five months nearly 13,000 of them children. There's no doubt about this, right? Now, Israel says it doesn't believe the numbers from the Hamas-controlled health authority. The problem is, for the Israelis, though, is that everybody else does, you see, because they've always been accurate. Uh, The thing is, NGOs, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, they say not only is the health authority usually very, very accurate, but in fact, it's probably much worse than they actually think, far exceeding 30,000. So let's listen to the BBC's Merlin, Merlin Thomas. So Merlin Thomas is running this report today for BBC Verify about the numbers of dead in Gaza. Now today, the Hamas-run health ministry has announced that since the start of the war, more than 30,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza. Now, several experts we've spoken to have said that the number of dead could actually be much higher than this. And that's because many hospitals in Gaza, where deaths are recorded, are no longer operating. Now, let's take a look at a a bit of a closer look at this. Look at this graph. Yeah, again, right, she she doubles down and says it's likely the figure is thought to be much, much higher. Let's hear what she says about the numbers. Now, the bars here for women and children show the deaths in red and purple, and they're significantly higher than the one for men. So far more women and children have died than men to this point. Keep in mind, this war has been going on for months, whereas the others lasted for weeks. So the death toll here is much higher. Now, Israel has questioned the death toll, but it hasn't provided its own figures on how many civilians in Gaza have been killed. So how are these casualty figures counted? Well, counting the dead in any war zone is a challenge, and experts told the BBC that the real scale of those killed since then is likely to be significantly higher than 30,000. Now, the figures only include bodies counted in hospitals like this one in Der al-Balah. So, 
those buried under rubble aren't included in this tally. And the World Health Organization's Regional Emergency Director, Richard Brennan, has previously said he considers these casualty figures to be trustworthy. Yeah. So it could be 40,000, it could be 45,000, it could be 50,000 Palestinians dead. And this was interesting this morning. There's an Irish journalist called Porrick O'Brien. He works for Channel 4. He's a foreign correspondent. Uh, he was speaking, however, to RTE, the Irish national broadcaster, and he said that dozens of news organisations and journalists have come together to sign a letter. They've sent it to the Israeli government demanding that they be allowed into Gaza to do their jobs because to this point, five months, the Israeli government and the Israeli army, the IDF, has prevented journalists from going into Gaza to report on what's going on there. So a lot of journalists have had enough and Porrick O'Brien spoke to RTE today uh, to discuss the letter sent to the Israelis demanding access to Gaza. Um, it was driven by Alex Crawford from Sky News, um, uh, directed to the Israeli and Egyptian authorities. And it's just asking those authorities to let us into Gaza so that we can do our jobs. The only journalists who can report from Gaza at the moment, as you say, are the very brave people who were there when the conflict started, and they're largely Gazans themselves. So, for example, when I was last reporting from Israel before Christmas, we weren't allowed into the Strip, and we were there during the ceasefire. Just to explain to your listeners, some colleagues have been allowed into the Strip from foreign news organisations, but these are in these highly restrictive mm -hmm embed so you only go in for a very short amount of time and the israeli defense force don't allow you to talk to any palestinians can't talk to the palestinians they review your footage afterwards so it's a deep and they review your footage afterwards israeli deeply unsatisfactory way of of doing of doing journalism and also like the people that are in there now the gazans reporting in there now and they include friends and colleagues of mine they're completely running on empty I mean, it's, it's, it's punishing reporting, uh, reporting from a war zone. I did six weeks in Ukraine last year, and by the end of it, you know, you're on your knees. But the journalists inside Gaza now, they've been doing this for 150 days. They've had to move their families multiple times. Their homes have been destroyed, family members killed, and they've seen colleagues killed in front of them. Over 90 journalists have died inside Gaza. So that would make it the one of, if not the most deadliest conflict when it comes to journalists ever. Yeah, it is my opinion, and I must state it is my opinion, that the Israelis don't want journalists going in there, particularly not from Channel 4 or The Guardian, because they'll report on what's really happening, as well as the incredibly horrific numbers of dead, what the Israelis have been doing is moving the Palestinians from place to place. Think of, think of cowboys, working cowboys in the United States, moving a herd of cattle. I'm not referring to the Palestinian people as cattle. I am not. But they move uh, herds of cattle to graze over there, and then you graze over there, and then we'll move you further south, and then we'll go a bit towards the southwest. Right. What the Israelis have been doing is, when they've moved the Palestinians out of an area, they have deliberately d destroyed everything left in the area, as much infrastructure as they possibly can. They are trying to render the Gaza Strip as completely uninhabitable to put as many Palestinians off 
from attempting to return there in the future. And this is one of the reasons is they don't want journalists getting in there to report on it. Let's hear a tiny bit more. And with the United Nations warning about the risk of famine now in Gaza as the aid supplies are held up, the scenes in there, you can only imagine what they would be like if the cameras were able to show it. Good point. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, like we're, we're doing the best we can with sort of one hand tied behind our back. And, and, and we want to show this. We're, we're about to reach the, you know, awful figure of 30,000 people killed during this conflict. And there's this fog of disinformation and false narratives all around the world, you know, from Selbridge to Khan Yunus, and particularly when it comes to a war. Did he say Selbridge in Kildare? I think he did. We'll be talking about it in a few minutes. You know, and, and you need professionally trained, even-handed journalists on the ground doing their best to tell your listeners the truth. Because without that, the world is blind to what's happening or partially blind. And it's more than blind. People are being deliberately deceived with misinformation. Because if you don't know what's going on or you're convinced of some falsehood, then you can't effectively hold your elected representatives to account. And when that starts to happen across the world, the democratic world order starts to yeah, that's lovely, Porrick O'Brien. That's lovely when you're speaking about Gaza. I wonder where Porrick O'Brien was in 2020. You know, was he holding authority to account in 2020 during the COVID scam? I somehow doubt it. I somehow doubt it. But then again, I don't know. Good evening, Christine. She was listening to the paper's podcast this morning. Richie, regarding the new adverts for the measles vaccine, I always thought it was illegal to target children in the advertising of pharmaceutical drugs in Britain. Thank you, Christine. Let me just um, remind, for anybody who doesn't listen to the paper's podcast, covered this today. It was in The Sun. A powerful new video urges parents to protect their children from surge of deadly Victorian diseases as millions at risk. This is obviously crap. Millions are not at risk from the measles. But anyway, the Health Security Agency, or the UK Health Security Agency, is going to run a television campaign and a social media campaign. It, it will be a series of adverts where children, played by child actors, of course, um, effectively scold their parents into vaccinating them. As the children look down the camera in the advertisements, I don't have one of them to hand now, and they say to their parents, these child actors, our generation's risk of illnesses like measles and whooping cough is rising. If we're not vaccinated, we're not protected, we could get seriously ill, risking lifelong disabilities. So the kids are telling the parents, you got to do something, check our vaccination status. Mommy, Daddy, check my vaccination status. And if I haven't had a certain vaccine, make sure I do. Get me back. Get me back to the GP surgery. So, yeah, uh, Christine, I'm educated by you. I'm not aware of any law about children um, and the advertising of pharmaceutical drugs. I've seen children in advertisements for cough medicine and stuff, Christine. So I don't know. Maybe you're right. I, I can't. I can't speak to that. Thank you, though. Hello to Rob, who says, is it okay? It's okay, he says, to be racist for only two nights, not three, though. That's in reference to Narinder Kaur, who says, come on, black people should have the theatre to themselves without the white gaze. Again, not the gaze, 
but the white gaze. Your eyes. Simon says, she was in Big Brother, Narinder Kaur. She was, wasn't she? That's where I remember her from. David Keane says, I'm sure Billy Gates has, has a jab, has had a jab for silly cow syndrome. Possibly. Possibly. Good evening to Jan, to Grace Ann. Good evening to Rich. Hello, Rich. He says, when is something going to happen to stop the slaughter in Gaza? George Galloway, says Rich, is tearing his hair out over Holocaust, says Rich. George Galloway, Rich, in my opinion, is a opportunistic little grifter. It's all he is and it's all he ever was, but that's just my opinion. Yes, I once interviewed him because Gerald Kaufman passed away, former Labour MP for Gorton and Fallowfield. And I liked Gerald Kaufman because he did me a favour. And Galloway said he was a friend of Kaufman's and he ran in the by-election following Kaufman's death and he asked me, could he come on the Richie Allen show, Galloway? And I said, I suppose you can. But I did it with uh, gritted teeth. I have no time for George Galloway. Uh, never had and never will do. 25 minutes, it is past the hour. Uh, ben Gilroy will join me in a few minutes' time uh, to discuss Kildare and the forthcoming referenda in Ireland. Very important referendums. Referenda, which will be... Which will be... A week tomorrow. Am I right in saying that? Is it a week tomorrow? Or am I talking through my big hairy backside again? It's often the case, don't you know? Long before Bonio was poisoned by Bill Clinton and Billy Gates, they wrote one or two interesting songs. This is a song about not knowing who you are, what you are, where you came from, or where you're going. Kind of sounds like me right now, to be honest. The Richie Allen Show is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. Thank you for listening to it. This is you two back in three and a half minutes. Music from Bonio and the boys. You two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's fast approaching 4.30 here in the UK. Thanks for joining the programme. Thanks for finding it. Lots of messages coming in. Thank you to Screech. A very good, good, good message from Screech. An interesting one. I think it's the real Screech, by the way, from Saved by the Bell, the real guy. Uh, he says, um, black people finding ways to segregate themselves. The irony, the irony, the irony. Yes, we were raised on films about segregation in the Deep South in the United States, weren't we? And the ills and the wrongs and Rosa Parks and all of that. Listen, it got very serious in Kildare on Tuesday. Very serious. There was a big demonstration outside a hotel after it was rumoured, and I'm very interested in this because you can never trust the Irish broadcast media, particularly not RTE, but it had been alleged that a young girl had been sexually assaulted violently by three men on the grounds of the facility. There was a protest there. The Irish national broadcaster claims that the Irish guard at Siakona were attacked by some protesters. In fact, fireworks, they allege fireworks were, were let off. The guardier saying they're not considering the incident a sexual crime. That's what they're saying at the moment. This was a hotel near Selbridge in County Kildare. There's no better man to talk about this and other matters. No better man. I don't trust any other man um, because he's always fair. 
And that's our friend Ben Gilroy. Ben, of course, the politician, a human rights activist, a man who I met many years ago when he was exposing banking fraud in Ireland and elsewhere. You'll find Ben on Twitter, Ben Gilroy, I-R-L, as in Ireland, I-R-L. Ben, welcome back to the programme. How are you? Thank you, Richie. Doing good. Listen, what's your understanding of what took place on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday? Because it went, to, to use that bloody term, viral. It was everywhere all of a sudden. And you had the Irish media saying, we've a running battle between the Gardaí and protesters there. What do we know about actually what did and didn't happen? Um, not, not much, uh, Richie. We know that a young girl was attacked. Um, earlier reports said it was by three men and it was a sexual attack. Um, later reports then coming from mainstream media and the Gardaí, and when I say later, I'm talking about two days later, uh, said it, it wasn't a, a sexual attack, but it was an attack by one man and it was a, it was a vicious enough attack. But, but this is the problem in Ireland and with the media. Uh, normally, Richie, in, in earlier times, as you know, if I attacked a young girl, it'd be all over the papers. I would be named Ben Gilroy, attacked this girl. She was seven years of age. He hit her with a hammer, whatever it is. Now we have to wait until the story is broken by people in the vicinity who either seen it or are aware of it. And then it goes through the whisper mill. And OK, maybe it was one man attacked. Maybe it was three. Who knows now? But once it goes through the rumour mill and people are upset because Ireland is a tinderbox at the minute and, and, you know, communities are on high alert when it comes to their children. Uh, um, so, so when the media is not reporting it, it always suggests that they're trying to hide something. And that's the very nature of a media not reporting something is meaning that it's been curtailed. And, and that's not a good sign. So when then the rumour mills run, it's like the media and the government, you know, because the Irish media is the spokesperson for the Irish government. So it's like the media wait until the rumour mill goes. And then when it goes so much, then they like to come out and they say what the truth is. And we don't really know. But then they'll blame it on, oh, the far right telling lies and blown it all out of proportion. And it appears to me they're doing this absolutely on purpose. It was similar to when um, a migrant centre was being opened down in the country and a load of people were protesting and they were heard that it was uh, 300 men coming. And there's no doubt in my mind that the government did this on purpose and then purposely put just a couple of buses going down with women and children on it. So then the protests looked real bad when they marched women and children who were nervous because there was a crowd of protesters. This is done on purpose by the government to make genuine ordinary citizens who are very concerned about their neighbourhoods, their communities, their way of life and their own children, make them look bad at all material costs. And it doesn't matter what the government will do they will do their utmost to make just the ordinary people on the street look like far-right Nazis. When you and I know, um, Richie, that there are no white supremacists in Ireland, there are no Nazis in Ireland, at least if there is, they're isolated in their mother's bedroom because I've never seen them and I've never heard no, of them. I've never met them either. And while I completely yeah. understand why people back home might imagine 
that the government did a quick switch around when it was meant to be 300 men going into the hotel. They switched it around. While I understand why you believe that, and you might be right, I'd be a lousy reporter if I didn't say there's no definitive proof of that. I know why you think it, and if I was in your position, I'd probably think it too, but there's no proof of it. They say, no, no that's not the case, you know. Yeah, listen, there's, there's no absolute proof, and the only thing is, when you look at all the busloads that came to the other places, there was nothing but men on them that were being recorded. So you could see how a switcheroo could be easily pulled here. And let's be honest, I don't trust the government one bit, and, and very few people in Ireland trust them. And not only that, 95% of the Irish people now have concerns with the borders and our immigration and housing crisis. So that means now 95% on the rule of thumb that they're using are all Nazi far right. Well, that's embarrassing, uh, for, th- in that's embarrassing for the government. I saw those opinion polls as well. And you are right to to characterise the results of those polls as you did. That's right, 95% of people have concerns. And when they do these polls, they take them from a real cross-section of society. You know, they're not going to inner-city Waterford or inner-city Dublin. No, that's right. So that's right. So 95% do have genuine concerns about it. Do you believe, Ben? if you think about that then, Richie, if you think about that, and and I'm in government, and 95% of the people are against what I'm doing, I either forget about democracy and I'll continue on with this WEN, WF agenda, or else I'll try to um, blacken the name of the people opposing it so Middle Ireland will sort of change their mind. Uh, if I can make a good group of those, that 95% appear that they're far right or Nazi or white supremacist or whatever it might be. I mean, these are the slurs put out by mostly the people on the left, not even in government, the likes of Sinn Féin and people before puberty or profit or whatever they're called. Um, and so that to me is shocking that they would use such defamatory slurs against the ordinary Irish people who have genuine concerns. And and like this is another young girl, and I believe the girl even is not an Irish citizen. I believe she's a, a, a foreign girl. But and th- that's still a concern. Like we're not saying, oh, it's not an Irish girl, so there's no problem. We're concerned about any child being attacked in our communities, no matter where they're from. Once they're here, they're under the protection of the Irish state. And in such circumstances, we have a duty to all children on this island. I want to ask you to speculate for a moment. Now, I've invited representatives of Sinn Féin on this programme. I've invited independents on this programme. Some of, some of the, you, you described them as um, lefties or liberals who seem to be in, in favour of what is happening and are the first ones to condemn people who question it. So forget Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil. Why do you think it is? I can't imagine for the life of me why politicians elected to Dáil Éireann, non-governmental politicians, I, I, mm-hmm. can't, I, I can't for the life of me imagine that they cannot see the problem with this agenda, that they cannot see the consequences of opening the doors to so many people. Why is yeah. it that they won't condemn it or they won't at least say, right, listen, there's got to be some middle ground here. They don't even do that much. They don't even say, listen, stop calling people no. racist. Let's have a big, proper, open discussion about that. But they don't. Why? Even though it's... Well... Go ahead. Yeah, you're right there, Richie. Like, my, my view on this was, look, 
put on your big boys underpants, stop calling names, and let's sit down and have a proper talk about this. But I think because initially the far left being Sinn Féin, and they are far left, uh, and people before puberty and a few of those other um you know, people like the Greens and all that are simply delusional. Uh, I think once they've seen a political opportunity when the immigration crisis started to grow a little bit and they weren't that concerned about it, once some members of the ordinary society stood up, they may have been identified as far right by these um, lefty loops. And, And in such circumstances then, they were an easy target to come out and say, oh, look, they're divisive, they're hatred, they're, they're this, they're racist, they're, you know, it's all about this. And now, because the term racist, I mean, three years ago, to be called a racist was something terrible in Ireland, because really, I'm telling you, no Irish people would consider themselves racist, uh, having travelled the world themselves. So they certainly wouldn't um, call themselves racist or, or assigned to that. But when their own communities are being overflooded uh, with foreign migrants, there's a problem. And that would cause a problem in any country. And, and they had concerns. So the far left and those leftist parties use that for political gain only to, to attack. And because they continually did it now, it's very hard to do a U-turn on that. Because when you try to do a U-turn on that, and now yourself call for, oh, well, we better control the borders a little bit, you're going to say, hold on a second, that's all we ever said. We didn't say don't allow foreigners in this country. We have never said that. Absolutely never said that. And we've always said that we should take our fair share of migrants into this country and try to help people around the world. And I've already explained to you on earlier shows that per capita, Ireland was one of the most generous countries in giving to charities to Africa and always everywhere was, else. Always was, and, and, you know, so so the problem now that they have is because they went so violent at pointing the fingers and calling us Nazis and racist, and the lefty media went with that as well. I mean, we had a, a, um, a DJ, for want of a better word, or a political correspondent on LMFM radio in Ireland, and he said that because of all these protests with the Irish flag at these protests, he now sees the Irish flag as the swastika. I mean, these are the type of comments that people need to put on their big boy underpants and stop doing that and sit down and address what's clearly a problem. And now what's clearly 95% of the country has decided is a problem. And so therefore, you know, we couldn't all be wrong, even if we're right, not far right. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. Ben Gilroy is our guest. Ben Gilroy, I-R-L on Twitter. Listen, two referendums which will change if the people vote yes, will change Ireland's constitution regarding gender and family. And they will take Mm -hmm. place a a week tomorrow. I've covered this on the programme. I've tried to get everybody angle on it, but I I haven't been successful in doing that. Um, The BBC is reporting on it. The BBC is very interested on it. And particularly interested in the family amendment. Where, yep. where, they, where they propose the government wants to insert the words whether founded on marriage or on durable relationships because the Irish constitution yep. had defined the family previously and the importance of marriage in, in, yep. in that. Now, they want to repurpose the wording to acknowledge that families may also be founded 
on lasting relationships other than marriage. So there's two referendums, but this is the most contentious one. And I've been obviously following this online and, and I see that people are connecting these referendums to what we've just been talking about now, which is Ireland's open yeah. door migration policy. Are they yeah. right to be equating the migration policy with this referendum in particular and changing the family, the yeah. wording about the family? What do you think? Yeah, I think it is a, a hidden agenda uh, to increase the number of migrants in the country. Um, and, and they're trying to do it through the back door now rather than the front door because there's huge opposition to everybody just flying in here with no documents. So there was a recent report, uh, and I, when I say recent, I mean today uh, and this morning. I just want to see who it was by. It was by uh, breakingnews.ie. And they said that the majority of asylum seekers arrive at Dublin airport without identity documents. Now they say the majority, so is that 51%? Well, let's see what they say. They say in total 407,000 people arrived at Dublin airport with no or false identity documents last year, representing 85% of all asylum applications that were made at Dublin airport in 2023. So um, you can see that's 85% arriving with no documents. And, and Leo Bradford came out and said that that was simply not true. Um, and then of the 2,591 men, men who claimed asylum at Dublin Airport last year, almost 87% presented with no or false identity documents. And these are men so, now? So, are these men? These the, are men? Yeah. Men, yeah, yeah. Men. yeah 2,591 men uh, arrived with, with false or no documents at all. Uh, my view is that we should have, if people come here with no documents, uh, and you know, there's there's a genuine refugee issue though. If they're genuine refugees, why are they here with no documents? How did they get here? You can't board a plane without a document. So how did they get here? How do you arrive at Dublin Airport with no documents? So my view is they're all coming here illegally if they come with no documents, uh, because you can't get on a plane on one end and get off with no documents at the other. Either you find the airports, if that's what's happening, or you immediately deport those because they're criminals. And, and that's my view here. We should have a zero tolerance on the number of them. But going back to your durable relations, this is why I say now it's a backdoor to get these people in. So, so durable relationships is not defined uh, in the proposal to amend it. So if I say to you, well, this is a durable relationship, Richie, you can't argue about me saying, no, it's not a durable relationship because I'm saying, but sure, it's not defined. So yeah, if it's, it's open not defined, then, then it could be. Yeah. It's open-ended, so, yeah. so think about now, we know that a man in Paris there one time uh, arrived in Paris under similar type of legislation they have there for durable relations. And he arrived, I think, with four wives and 22 children. He arrived there on his own, first of all, and he got some sort of recognition to stay in the country. And then because of a durable relation or something similar to that, four wives and 22 children then the government uh, in paris uh had in france sorry had to deal with him and support him uh through the welfare system now if i was so an rte no hang on if i was an rte journalist or an rte presenter heaven forbid but if i was well if i was you wouldn't be speaking because they wouldn't let you on anyway That's but if i was i wouldn't be talking to you yeah <laughs> but let's pretend let's fantasize right i'd shout you down there and say come on ben do you really think that this is actually going to lead to scores of young men coming in and then whistling back to the middle east for five or six women and 20 kids to follow them it's not likely is it or do you think it is 
It's it's I think it's more than likely, Richie. I absolutely do. And 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 because um these men have four wives and twelve and twenty-two children, they have them, they're there. So rather than us all arriving at the airport with no documentation and a good chance of us being turned back, send over somebody, one of the young fellas, send them over, say he's running from this or running from that. Like it's open season in Ireland. I mean, it's really easy to enter now. And so when he gets sorted. And he has somewhere to stay after the constitution is changed, if it's going to be changed. What would stop him now saying, I have a family, we're all a durable relationship and I need to bring them all over? What would stop that? And even more sinister, you know the way some Muslim men can marry young brides like from 9 and 11 and 12 years of age? So let's say a Muslim man wants to come here and he's around my age, he's 60, and he wants to bring an 11-year-old girl here because he had intended to marry her in his country, but he hasn't married her yet. And now he's going to bring her here because it's a durable relationship. Yeah, but we wouldn't allow that. That wouldn't be allowed. But explain to me. Yeah, explain to me how that's not a durable relationship, though. Yeah, Yeah, but we have laws. We have laws in Ireland against well, that. I mean, that that's that's you've effectively described uh, paedophilia. The Irish authorities, as bad as they are, they would not tolerate a man coming into the country and then saying or applying for a marriage license. I don't, I don't think you've no, got to get no, a marriage license. No, that's right. He won't get the marriage license. I'm not saying he can yeah. get the marriage license to the child as of a, a, an age of consent, right? But let's say he brings her here. Because he's saying, I intend to marry her. When she's of age, I'll go back to my own country and I'll marry her. And so I'm bringing her here now. I mean, we don't know what this means. And, and like, I'm only talking off the top of my head without seriously yeah. even thinking about this. But because we don't know what a durable relationship is, it could mean anything. Like, how many durable relationships am I allowed to have, in other words? Let's say I'm a man and I have four girlfriends, three wives, uh, can I bring them all? They're all durable relationships. Let me read what Varadkar said about this, the current Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. He said, um, repurposing the wording acknowledges the families may also be founded on lasting relationships other than marriage. Let me just finish this. He says, for example, a family headed by a lone parent or a family headed by a grandparent or guardian. All of us know people who are committed to each other in a loving relationship over a sustained period of time who are not married. It's hard to argue with Varadkar when he puts it like that, to be honest. Yeah, because that's why he put it like that. But sure, anybody, like single parents never had a problem here. I mean, if you're a single parent, like the truth about it is, you're not, you're not uh, a family as such. You're a mother with children, an unmarried mother with children. But if you have a father uh, that's still around and you're not, uh, you're, you're, you're basically defined as a family, whether you like it or not, because when you were, let's say you were to break up with your partner and you have children, where do you go for, for that breakup and for visitation rights? You go to the family courts. But sure, if you're not a family, what are you doing in the family courts? So, so these are all really recognised anyway. You know, so that's not what this is about. You know, nobody stands up in a family court. A family court, a judge in a family court doesn't stand up and say to, to unmarried parents when they're fighting over access to children. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I've no jurisdiction here. This is a family court. And therefore, the Supreme Court has defined family as married. You're not married. I've no jurisdiction. It doesn't happen. Have a nice day. It doesn't happen. You see, so... 
So, yeah, the system works properly. And that's why Fradcar is being disingenuous about this. And this is the problem. And I, listen, I'm, I have nothing against homosexuals or anything like that. But this is the problem with homosexual men who don't know really what family is about and, and, and in a wife and children. When you look at Roderick O'Gorman as well, I mean, here's a minister uh, of children, the minister of children. First of all, I don't believe for any moment that a gay man should be the minister of children, Boy. right? It's just, the reason is he doesn't have children of his own. He'll never have children of his own. And he doesn't know what that means to have children of his own. Yeah, but hang on and, a second. And, what about the minister for transport and the minister for agriculture and the minister for energy? None of them have got any experience. Even the minister for finance, usually in, in this country in particular, they've got no skills or 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 experience no, working no, in those areas. Yeah, there are skills. There are skills you can learn. You can't learn to be a father unless you actually are one. Yeah, but how, how hard? But hang on a second. Hang on a second. The, the future misses and myself haven't been blessed with uh, children. I know. I know you're a dad. You've got beautiful children. I'm, I'm not just saying mm -hmm. that you do. Uh, we haven't been. Are you telling me because I've not raised a child that I couldn't be the minister for children? I, I think I could be. And Roderick O'Gorman might be an arsehole, but I don't think his his um his sexuality should preclude him from being kids minister. That's just me, and you know me. I'm not virtue signaling. No, no, no That's I, what I, I, I get what you're saying, Richie. But look, can he not be the minister of arts or something? I tell you, there's a problem. That's a proper stereotype there now, Mr. Gilroy. What a stereotype that is. He's gay. Why yeah. shouldn't he be the minister for arts? <laughs> yeah, or, or something else. No, the, but the point I'm making is, like, look at our last minister of children. She was a lesbian and, and into witchcraft, openly said she was into witchcraft. Was she? This is the problem I'm talking about, about the, for the ministers of children. There's something seriously going wrong. There's 200 children gone missing out of state care while Roderick Gorman is a minister for children. I've been reading and then this. You have yeah. Rod, and then you have Roderick uh, Gorman saying things like, uh, he puts up a, a picture of the Scottish prime minister a foreign man, and he just goes, yes, his name equals a ride. I mean, first of all, this is not the proper talk no, it of isn't. a minister. No, no, it's not it proper isn't. decorum, no. and it shows the character of this type of man, where in general terms, if it was an ordinary just gay man who wasn't sort of so public about this sort of whatever you want to call it. Can I take you, know, you back? But, ben, 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 hold it. You, you know you have all the time in the world with me. I won't um, interrupt you. You'll get your say. But I want, I want to take you back there. Did Roderick O'Gorman refer to Humza Yousaf, the Scottish National Party leader and First Minister of Scotland, did he honestly refer to him as a bit of a shag? Did he really? He did. He actually put his name, the equal sign, Total right. Well, he's not suitable to be um, any minister, let alone the minister well, of children. That's the point I'm it's making. It's I rubbish. Mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't do that about a woman. No, no, of if course I was not. Minister, I, yeah. I don't even do it in public, even just for no. the ordinary decency standard. And that's what I'm talking about—the decency standard of someone to be minister of children. Like, whatever about being Minister of Arts, and that's why I said that. It wasn't strictly no, because no, it was gay. No, no, it made me laugh. It's his total yeah, yeah. conduct. It's his total conduct, you know? There is, I, I, do, I do get a bit of it from, now I'm not equating you with nationalism, but when, when I do encounter nationalists, and I, I'm not, again, I'm not going to virtue signal, this is a free speech forum, it always has been, we'll talk about anything, yes. and I don't judge anybody, but, but what mm -hmm. I do come across is, I do think, and I kind of regret this, because I know a lot of gay people, 
and they're as good. They're not better, but they're as good as anybody else I know. And they have family. Oh, listen, I, I no, and I know that. you know. I, I know you know friends. this. I know you know this, yeah. and I know you've got gay friends. But yeah. but with some of the nationalists who come on, I do get that feeling, oh, sorry, that tendency yeah. that you know that they're they're not too enamoured of, or they're not too thrilled about gay people. And look, every, that's that's their right if that's what they want to think. But it kind of disappoints me, to be honest. Yeah, no, look, I, I get that. And um, I, I think what upsets a lot of people about a lot of the gay community is some of the great gay pride marches, this over-exaggeration of sexual indulgence and dildos hanging out of you going down a road in, in a parade. I think that's what's wrong with it. No one has a problem with people just keeping private sex life private. They wouldn't even like heterosexuals having a parade with dildos and whatever else going down O'Connell Street. They would have a problem with that as well. It's not because they're gay or not gay. It's about this over-exaggeration and public display of something that should be very private in front of children on a street as a parade. It's very That's new what this. the problem it's, is. It's very new, this, isn't it? Or if, if not very new, it's it's recent. We, we have had issues here in Manchester, which has a massive Pride weekend. It's huge. Ooh. Hundreds of thousands of people come into yeah. Manchester. The parade is massive. But we have had issues. And to be fair, and again, I'm not just being an arsehole here and being the devil's advocate. Um, I've spoken to gay men they're usually my age to be honest and they can't yeah. they can't get over some of the conduct of you know a, a, that's right. a minor element maybe of of and these that's parades what I was going yeah to it's say. not good if yeah. we if we take if we take yeah. the the focus away from say the gay community and let's pretend it was a heterosexual parade i would still be complaining if that was the type of conduct that was on the street that women were walking down the streets, barely clad, and men holding dildos against them and stuff like that. I would be absolutely horrified by that in the same way as if it's a gay pride. Yeah, so we it's have... nothing to do with being gay or homosexual. It's absolutely nothing to do with that. It's this over publicization of something that should be private. Yeah, we have public decency laws, and I don't That's understand right. why some of this happens. While I still have you for a few minutes, I didn't mm. get a chance to mention the other aspect of this referendum and that is about the, the about women so this is the general scheme as they call it of the 40th amendment of the constitution bill it proposes and they're asking people to vote on this in ireland ben of course knows this but if you're not from ireland and you're wondering what are we talking about it is a very serious referendum it proposes to delete this wording in particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. So they want to take that out and they want to insert mm -hmm. in its place the state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. So why are we concerned about them taking out woman gives to the state and changing that to members of a family gives to the state. Why? Because they're redefining family. <laughs> See, the first part is the redefining of the family. And then we're broadening it out then that it's any member of that family. And, and you see, I was always talking about, if anybody wants to know anything about the Irish Constitution, 
and you only need to know one article, and it's 41.11, which says that the family is superior to all positive law. And this was very helpful when there was lockdowns and stuff like that. I still travelled everywhere with my family because the family is superior to positive law. And and therefore, I always knew there'd be an attack on that part because that's where the government can't control enough of us. And so now what they're trying to do is water down family, water down what it means, and it's all about durable relationships. The, the NGOs that are all supporting the government motion to change this um, are all calling for a yes vote. And, and that should alarm us all for the start. But... But where they're looking for the woman to be taken out, they're trying to say that this means the woman had to stay in the home and she had her duty in the home and that was it. She couldn't do anything else. And, of course, that's simply not true. I mean, Susan Denham, who was the Chief Justice of Ireland, I think she was the first female Justice of Ireland, if I'm not mistaken, she actually said that it didn't restrict women at all. In fact, it elevated women who wanted to stay at home. And and what these NGOs and these family haters, if you like, traditional family haters, what they want to do is pretend that somehow this was degrading of women. It was not. What it says is that basically because the, the, what the woman does in the home is so good for the society, for the greater good of society, that she shouldn't leave the home for purely having to earn a few quid so that we should look after her in the home. Hence, children's allowance That's and right. all that sort That's of right. stuff. Now there might be an excuse to cut children's allowance on women. We don't know. None of us know what any of this is about. But tell me this. Who can honestly say that by leaving the Constitution the way it is, we have suffered. You Who couldn't can say that? You, you can't make an argument. No, yeah. no one can make that argument. So no. leave it alone. It's like the government need a win because they have been so diabolical for the last seven, eight years that they need desperately need a win of something. The last great win they had was the right for us to murder children in the womb. Apparently that should be celebrated like we won the World Cup. But now they need another, what they would call a victory, and this is it. And if they don't get this, we will put them into the bin of history where they belong. So they need a win. They can't, they can't go against the WEF on the immigration. Uh, they can't do any of that. They can't help the actually Irish people because they don't know how to. And so their own last bastion stand is to, to say, oh, let's have a great victory here to show we can win. That's why every NGO and every government uh, minister and government TD is supporting this. Not one dissenting voice. Imagine that. Now, you would imagine, though, in the opposition, there'll be dissenting voices. So Sinn Féin, the largest party in the uh, in the Dáil, uh, who are the biggest opposition. Well, being an opposition, you would imagine they're going to be against us. But oh no, they're for it as well. Yeah. <laughs> People before prop, everybody's for it. You, so you have the same issues there. To me. You have the same and issues yet, there as we do here. There is no opposition. No, no opposition. Consensus. And, and so when you have a fake opposition. I think they're more disingenuous than a government that wears corruption on its sleeve rather than pretending to be for the people. And so here you have now the likes of Sinn Féin and everybody else, no opposition to government on this and all NGOs pumping. So when I look at Thomas Bourne, say, just to give you a TD in my area, I know Thomas well. 
he's a good family man. There's no way he believes this durable relationship bullshit. And I see him coming out on TV trying to say that it's needed. And because I know him, I'm looking at his face and I'm just saying to myself, you are just lying. You were just told to say this. You're towing the party line. Like, as I said to you, Richie, there's not one person who can say my life, not one woman, right, can say my life has been hindered by these sections in the in the um, in the Constitution. I mean, we've had two female presidents only of recent times, you know, so so and, and there's been some great achievements by women all through Ireland. Yeah. But which woman can put her hand up and say that this has held me back in life? No, and Not I don't. And and same sex couples. Um, we we have same sex marriage in Ireland. I I can't imagine that a same sex couple could look you in the eye and say, "Well, this is really necessary because you know, without it, we're 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 kind of like um, yeah, discriminated against, or hindered. That's or right. But 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 no. What do you think? Just before no. be, before we do part company today, what 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 is the polling saying ahead of next Friday? Uh, a lot of the public opinion polls that are done by obviously government agencies are shown quite a large win for government on this. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's worrying. But yet, when I talk to any, maybe it's the circle of company I keep, of course, Richie, but when I talk yeah. to any of my friends and even acquaintances or anyone on social media, it seems to be an absolute landslide for the no-no. So that's worrying, you know. Listen, it's always good to talk with you. Let's have a chat afterwards, uh, Ben. And There's plenty of things we can talk about as well. Ben is on Twitter. Ben Gilroy, I-R-L. Do give him a follow there. Human rights activist, politician, all-round good egg, I would say. It's always good to have you on, pal. You should come on more often. Thanks, Richie. Good to have you on, Ben. Thanks for that. Ben Gilroy, live on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. As the time is coming up now for five minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Your comments next after a tune. Yeah, I've got a tune for you. It's a super tramp. I'm living in the 70s today. I'm living in the 70s. You'll just have to put up with it. Back with some more after this. Yeah, music from Supertramp, Goodbye Stranger on the Richie Allen Show. Good evening to Stephen McDonald. Hello, Stephen. Uh, Stephen has sent me an email and he has included a link to a video. Uh, Stephen says the video makes a compelling case that climate change is anthropogenic, that human beings are responsible for it. And he says to me, would you have a look at it, Richie? Of course I will. You wouldn't be much of a journalist now if you said, well, no, no, I won't look at it because I know that climate change is bollocks. Of course I look at it, Stephen. I will, of course, give it a, a look, my friend, and I will send it on to the scientific men and women who I know who disagree with anthropogenic warming theory. Thank you, Stephen. Nice to hear from you today. A very good friend of mine has been in touch, Mike Cohen. Hello, Mike. He says, Richie, Sinn Féin isn't the same Sinn Féin it was 20 years ago. Have they sold themselves for power? Tell you what, Michael, I don't know the answer to this. I'm guessing you might know more than I do. But um, in the 90s, in the 90s, now, a better person to speak about this than me would be trying to rack my brains now. But in the 90s, political parties generally, I believe, they weren't infiltrated as such. But um, 
the likes of Open Society, George Soros. Now, you mentioned Soros and people call you anti-Semitic, but it wasn't just George Soros. But a lot of these organisations that wanted to make big social changes in the world, right, many of them funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it seems that they began to ingratiate themselves with young members of political parties, not just in Ireland and in the UK, but all around the world. You know, young members now, not MPs, not TDs, not members of the French Parliament, but um, activists who they knew might be the front people or the main runners in these parties in the future. You know, these open society, as I've already mentioned, these types of groups, the World Economic Forum and its Young Leaders Programme. So I do believe this is how they did it. And it's one of the reasons now why so many of these political parties, particularly their younger members, are singing from the same hymn sheet when it comes to these agendas. But of course I could be wrong. It's just what I've heard. And it kind of makes a bit of sense to me. Thanks for that, Mike. I look forward to seeing you soon, pal. Christopher is listening. Thank you, Christopher. I won't mention that. You're, you're right. Thank you. Rob says women are better at looking after and bringing up children. A gay man will never be as good as a real mother. It's natural biology, says Rob. Nobody agrees with me, by the way. Nobody. I've read a few of these comments, including Carl in Leicester. Carl doubles down. He trebles. He quadruples down. He says 100 million percent the Minister for Children should be a parent. The Minister for Anything should have experience in that field. I would say that most gay people would decline the role of children's minister because they'll never have them. I doubt that very much, Carl. Gay politicians are the same as straight politicians. They're in it for themselves. And if you offer them a ministerial role and you tell them, by the way, we're going to increase your salary by an extra 30,000 smackaroos a year, come on, Carl. The gay politician, the straight politician, the non-binary politician is going to say, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, regardless of whether they have experience of uh, raising children or not. And I'm not currying favour with anybody. I think it would be wrong to disqualify a potential children's minister just because he or she is gay. I think it's wrong. Uh, Absolutely wrong. However, what he said about Roderick O'Gorman, the children's minister in Ireland, if he's tweeting out, and I haven't seen this, so I've got to take Ben Gilroy's word for it, but you did hear me challenge him. I challenged him. He said that O'Gorman tweeted a photograph of Scotland's first minister basically saying he's a roid. I'm sorry if children are listening. That essentially means he's a bit of a shag. That is inappropriate behaviour. Whether you are referring to somebody from the same sex, whether you are referring to somebody of the opposite sex, that should disqualify him full stop. And you know me, I'm not one for firing people because they've made mistakes, but that guy is inappropriate. Full stop. Keep that to yourself, you know. If you want to say that to a friend of yours in private, I tell you what, that Humza Yusuf, he's a bit of all right, isn't he? It's not appropriate to be saying that stuff in public about men or women, in my opinion. There are too many messages coming in, you bastards. Devi, uh, Devi, that's a bit sad. Thanks for sharing it. Richie, RIP to my mate Lou, who died last night. She introduced me to the Richie Allen Show, says Devi. Devi, I'm sorry to hear about your pal, Lou. God be with her on her onward journey. And I'm glad she introduced you to the programme. You have my condolences, Devi. Thanks for sharing uh, that with me today. 
Patrizia says, we have an uncodified constitution in the UK, which is dodgy. That is right. KJ says, Richie, you were trapped in the 70s in the time warp, simply refusing to move on to the move on with the times. Well, that being said, I have taken it upon myself in recent months to listen to more chart music, to listen to things that are charting, to try to know, to try and keep me young. Hi to Mark, who says, thank you, Mark. Hi to Danielle. About climate change, I personally think that too many people confuse climate change and pollution. That's Danielle. That's a very good point. Absolutely. You know, and this is why, this is how they drove the climate issue, by playing people against one another. When I was a younger man, I was all for climate change, you know, and I thought that it was the dirty conservatives, you know, who were against it because they were only looking out for their big oil and big gas, the big petroleum companies. I believed all that shite. And we did conflate pollution with climate change. Pollution is a massive problem. We know it is. Jesus, they've been testing the fresh water um, rivers and streams and lakes of the UK and they're in a terrible, deplorable state with sewage and bacteria and, and whatnot. That's a serious problem. But yeah, you're right, Danielle. They have, in the minds of youngsters, in any case, they have conflated these issues when they are two completely separate issues. Our oceans, our oceans are undoubtedly full of plastic. We are undoubtedly, and by we, I don't mean you and me, because we don't do it, but um, corporations, of course, um, globalists, if you want to call them that, are destroying the natural world. Of course they are. Ecosystems collapsing. I sound like Greta now. But that's got nothing to do with climate change. 100%. Seamus says, Good evening, Richie. Ireland has traditionally had strong women in its history, from Queen Maeve to Countess Markovic. The recent female presidents have just continued such a glorious rich vein of the cultural enrichment made by female Seamus. I won't say anything about Mary McAleese now, but Mary Robinson is fully on board with Agenda 2030, isn't she? Ireland's first female president. When did Mary Robinson... When was Mary Robinson elected to the Phoenix Park? When? What year was it? It was in the 90s, wasn't it? So she spent eight years as Ireland's president and then went straight to the United Nations. And she's been pushing the agendas we talk about on this programme ever since Mary Robinson. Yeah, she was the darling of the political uh, left in America and in the UK, Mary. That's right. Thank you for these messages. Let me go back to the website, if I may. Donald says, politicians in Ireland cannot even answer the question, what is a woman? They cannot, he says. Yeah, but they wouldn't be the only politicians. Remember the Liberal Democrat leader, Ed Davey? So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. Quite clearly. Do you see the speed I found that clip there? Are you impressed? No producer, no editor. It's just the BBG all by himself in Salford. Eh? Ring fenced in to this studio. Baird says, if you understand the plan for the world, then of course you should expect the Minister for Children to be a gay man or a lesbian witch, and you should expect gay BDSM on the streets of Sodom and expect it all to get worse. I'll grow up, Baird. It's not that bad. Listen, I, 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 ha I have yet to meet a gay man 
who in any way endorses some of the disgusting behaviour we saw on the streets of Manchester in recent years. Right, there's a younger element involved in that and it is not widely approved by gay and lesbian men and women. There's something else going on there. But this thing of blaming... The, I'm not saying you're doing this, by the way, Baird, and I am jesting with you. This kind of blame the gays. The gays are not responsible for the shit show that we're witnessing. And it does disappoint me a little bit. You know, just a little bit, because everybody's entitled to their opinion. And religion drives some of this. I do understand that. Re- religious belief, which I respect as well. But I am a bit disappointed that nationalists, you know, increasingly try to throw in, you know, a few snipes at gay men and women. Just, just, I, I don't get that. Gay men and women have been around since Moses was in short trousers. It's always been the case. Um, and that's a fact. Uh, Anto, sorry I didn't get to ask that. I didn't see it, by the way. Wayne says, could you imagine the outcry if a theatre said whites only? This is nothing other than racism in order to sow division, he says. I'm convinced that part of the agenda is to denigrate straight white men. It is exceptionally rare now in a TV drama or soap to see a senior police detective, solicitor, member of the clergy, any character in a role of authority who is not gay, black or female, says Wayne. Yeah. Don't know about that. (laughs) I'm not disputing what Wayne is saying. I don't see too much TV drama these days. Uh, He might be right. Jean Anne was in touch. She said, ahead of your conversation with Ben, I posted the below on Facebook today from his last essay, dated March 31st, 1916, only a month before he was taken out and executed, murdered by the British Army. Porrick Pierce wrote the following about the nation. Listen to this, it is beautiful. Podrick Pierce, Porrick Pierce. The nation is a natural division, as natural as the family and as inevitable. That is one reason why a nation is holy and why an empire is not. A nation is knit together by natural ties, ties mystic and spiritual, human and kindly. An empire is at best held together by ties of mutual interest and at worst by brute force. The nation is the family in large. An empire is a commercial corporation in large. The nation is of God. The empire is of man. If it not be of the devil. Prescient, to use the word corporation, in 1916, says Jean Anne Crowley. And she's absolutely right. That's a wonderful passage from a wonderful essay by Porrick Pierce. As the time is 22 minutes past the hour, this is The Richie Allen Show. It's time for more music when I come back. More of your comments then. And it's good to be with you this Thursday. Let me give a plug to the Papers podcast, which is available to download Monday to Friday at around about 7am UK time. It's a recorded thing. It's just me going through the daily newspapers, the front pages, and picking out one or two interesting stories from inside the very same newspapers. This is music from Eric Clapton then on the world's most listened to independent news radio show. It's your Richie Allen show. What else is it then? Back with your comments after this then. Hello there, Father. Uh, hello, Colm. <laughs> Out and about. I am. Same as yourself. Good, good. 
I hear you're a racist now, Father. <laughs> what? What? How did you get interested in that type of thing? Who said I'm a racist? Everyone's saying it, Father. Should we all be racist now? What's the official line the church is taking on this? Oh, no. Only the farm takes up most of the day, and at night I just like a cup of tea. I might be able to devote myself full-time to the old racism. Good for you, Father. What? Oh, Mrs. Carberry. <laughs> Good for you, Father. Well, someone had the guts to stand up to them at last. Coming over here, taking our jobs and our women, and acting like they own a second place. Well done, Father. Good for you. Good for you. I like a second. Second Greeks. It isn't the Greeks, it's the Chinese he's after. I am not after the Chinese. I don't care who he gets along as I can have a go at the Greeks. They invented gayness. Look, you're not having a go at anybody. Yeah, the wonderful father, Ted, trying to remember. The production company. I should remember it off by heart, but I can't remember. Uh, this is Thursday's Richie Allen radio show broadcasting to you live from Stoneford in the heart of Greater Manchester. Thank you for your messages. They are legion. Anne says, Paul Rick Pierce, an Irish patriot, poet and visionary. Thank you, Anne. You'll get no argument from me. Richie says, Christine, I don't know how they are pushing all the climate change measures. I was at the Royal Hospital in Belfast today. Went to the cafe with himself. Good evening, himself. <laughs> himself. It's so Irish. Good evening. She says, um, the milk was in little plastic cups. The cutlery was wooden, but was put in the bin. The cups had the plastic coating inside. It just beggars belief, really, says Christine. Yes, it does beggar belief, Christine. It is mad, isn't it? Uh, good evening to Marcus. Richie, remember the good old days of CFC and ozone layer holes? Sure, I remember it well. And my old pal Claire has been on. Hello, Claire. Ministers are the front people as they make no decisions. Legislation is prepped and ready to go regardless of who the minister is. And that is the comment of the day. Quite right. It matters not a damn whether the Minister for Children is gay, lesbian, boy, trans, non-binary or some other wonderful gender. They are front people. It's what they are. They are effectively actors and actresses and they deliver messages to people. You know, they, they, they come and beg for your vote every whatever, four or five years, and they promise wonderful things. Don't they? We've had this conversation too many times. And yet they rip up that constitution, not constitution, they rip up that manifesto as soon as they're in office. I mean, when you think about the UK, I want to go to Parliament to be a good constituency MP, to do the best I can for the people who elected me. That's a whopper of a lie. We know this. Because as soon as they enter the building, they must place their hands on the Bible or if they don't believe in the Christian God, they will use a Torah or a Koran. Or if they are atheist, they will put their hand up and they will swear to bear true and faithful allegiance to King Charles Third. And I haven't just mispronounced my THs. He is a third. Right, they, they, I, I promise to bear true and faithful allegiance to King Charles Third 
and all of his heirs. That isn't the exact wording of it. And because I'm such a thorough bollocks, I'm a thorough bollocks, I'm going to give you the exact wording. Hang on. Parliamentary oath. I'll give it to you now. Uh, as is read out. By these people. By these people. And it comes from the Promissory Oaths Act of 1868. Is where it comes from. And I'm going to read it out now. I swear by Almighty God. I'm not swearing this now, just in case you think I've lost my mind. Is that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles III, his heirs and successors, according to law. So help me God. That's what they do. You don't live in a democracy. It is a constitutional monarchy, which is word salad. It's bollocks, really. Your MPs are not working for you. They are working for the Crown Corporation. Read Dean Henderson, one of our most incredibly knowledgeable recurring guests. That's what they do. Claire's right. It makes no difference. It's why they will swap Grant Chaps around. Grant Chaps has to take his penis out to count to 11. Just look at him. And yet he has held these ministerial roles of state. He's been transport secretary. Help me out here. He's had three or four of these gigs. He's now defence secretary. What does Grant Shapps know about defending anything? He couldn't defend a sandcastle from a group of four-year-old children. It's a charade. Claire is right. It makes you mad when you think of it. People don't understand it or they don't want to know. You know? Colin says, Hat Trick Productions, Richie, Comedy Gold. That's right, Hat Trick Productions. Graham Linehan. Graham Linehan doesn't like the Richie Allen show very much. Um, Hayden Hewitt reached out to Graham Linehan. Because Hayden knows him. And he said, you've got a new book coming out, says Hayden. Yes, says Graham Linehan. He said, you should go and talk to, to Richie Allen. Oh, I know about the Richie Allen show, says Graham Linehan. Oh, here's here's my email address. Give 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 it to Richie. I tried to arrange an interview anyway. Didn't want to come on. Mr. Free Speech, Graham Linehan. Mr. Free Speech, Graham Linehan. Demanding the right to be allowed to say what he wants about gender politics. Free speech is sacrosanct. It's paramount. Until, ooh, I might be hammered in the press if I go on the Richie Allen show. Graham Linehan. You know, David Icke said to me years ago. I don't know what you think of this. David Icke said to me years ago. Richie? He said, you've been doing your radio shows now for several years and you'll be doing them hopefully for a long time to come. Hopefully not too long. Hopefully we, we will extricate ourselves from this tailspin humanity is in, says David. But he says, you will find Richie. And I don't mean, he said, among your circle of friends. But amongst those people you do not know, you will find about two or three people if you're lucky, that are 100% committed to getting the truth out there, who are 100% committed to free speech and will never be swayed from it. He said most of them, at the first sign of trouble, will put their, you know, toys back in their their satchel and they'll run for the hill hills. And he was right. It's the truest thing that anybody ever said to me. The amount of times I've invited people on this programme and they've come back to me and said, I can't, because I'll be destroyed. 
for coming on with you. And I'm like, look at the look at the podcast charts. It's 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 huge. Like the the the, the listener. The, the reach, the listenership figures are massive. Like you'd, you'd want to be on because you'll sell quite a few copies of your book. Anybody who's ever been on this program who's got a book to sell will tell you if you ask them, went on the Richie Allen show, woke up the following morning, had sold several hundred books. But they come back and they say, no, I'll be hammered, Richie. Andrew Bridgen did it. Another bullshitter. Even though I've got to give him some credit for getting the vaccine injury stuff out there. Another bullshitter. Can't come on. Why? Well, because... You know, I'll be accused of anti-Semitism if I come on. But but you know I'm not anti-Semitic. You know this. You know I've interviewed everybody and anybody over the years and will continue to do so. No subject is taboo. Yeah, but, but, but I, you know, they'll go after me. All right, fair enough. That's how it is. If you're lucky, two, three people in your life that really mean it when they say they are a free speech absolutist. Because free speech absolutism also means going on platforms or appearing with people even if the establishment tells you you shouldn't do it. Isn't that true? At least I, I believe it to be uh, true in any case. Good evening to Luke. Hi, Luke. Luke says he was blocked by me on Twitter. Luke, I don't know who you are, pal. And um, I, it's very rare that I block anybody on Twitter. And it's usually... Because I have muted them, and for whatever reason, they keep showing up on my timeline anyway. And let me just explain to people again, because some people like Luke are galactically stupid. Luke, I'm accusing you of being galactically stupid. Here's how it is. Blocking somebody from tweeting you isn't censoring them. It's because I don't want to read any of your bullshit anymore. I've had enough of it, you see. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't take it personally, Luke. I don't know you from Adam. So you can't take it personally. We've never met. We never will meet. When you block somebody, it's because you're sick to death of reading them. And muting hasn't worked. Have you found that lately? You know, you get the idiots on Twitter tweeting garbage at you all the time. And previously, if you muted them, you no longer were notified about their comments. But that has changed now. I've muted people, you know, tweeting real nasty stuff about Jews or nasty stuff about Muslims or whatever. And I'll engage with them and say, look, it's not about Jews or Muslims. You're playing identity politics. And I'll mute them, but I keep seeing their comments lately. So the only thing you're left with is blocking them. And blocking somebody means, quite simply, I don't want to read you anymore because I think you're a bit of an idiot. I don't know who Luke is and I don't even remember blocking him, but he must have said something to annoy me. And then it must be the case that I just couldn't mute him. That's how it is. Uh, good evening to Davy. Hello, Davy. Uh, good evening to Sam. Hello, Sam. Whatever happened to go the old global warming, Richie? I remember having to learn how to spell CFCs when I was six. That was 40 years ago when the ozone layer was apparently vanishing. Well, I think you know this to be true, Sam. Global warming was replaced with climate change when the planet didn't warm for about 15 years in a row. When the average temperature remained the same for about 15 years in a row. Because what's really going on, according to people far smarter than I am, is that the Earth is in an interglaciation period. It is between ice ages. 
and it is still emerging from the previous ice age. So if you can imagine a hill, like a mound, like a hill, on one side of it you have an ice age and on the other side of it you have an ice age. We are still on the crest of the hill. We're still just about climbing it. We're just about at the top of it, apparently. Meaning we are emerging from the previous ice age. Meaning that we are, the average temperature is slightly increasing, but not very much. And a number of experts believe that by the end of this decade, we will enter a cooling period. They call it the Maunder Minimum. They call it a mini ice age. It won't be a mini ice age, but global temperatures will cool drastically around about 2029, 2030. In fact, I had a very interesting woman called Valentina Zharkova on the programme some years discussing this. She's a bit of an expert. So we're heading now for a cooling period which might last as much as a decade. Maybe a little bit less. That's right. So they, they stopped, they removed global warming. They changed the literature. And then they inserted climate change where global warming had been the go-to stock phrase because for about 15 years from the mid-1990s um, or the early 1990s, there was no real change in the, in the mean global temperature. And I can say that as a fact because it is a fact, right? David, there's a lot of Davids tweeting me. You might include an, an, an initial... <clears throat> excuse me, or even a fictional surname, it, it will help me out, please, Davids, because you are different Davids, I can see that, by, by, um, by, by how you write. David says, Nostradamus has predicted King Charles will abdicate and will be replaced by William, who might be the third Antichrist. Give over, David. Nostradamus predicted, or predictions have come to pass. He also said 2025 will be the year where a third world war begins, maybe, says David. Yeah, but I've seen a number of documentaries debunking uh, the claims that Nostradamus predicted the Second World War, predicted Napoleon. These quatrains, when they are translated from French into English, they don't make much sense at all. And in fact, I've spoken to French people. In fact, I live with a French woman. And they know that it's... It's not... Yeah, I'll just leave it there where Nostradamus is concerned. I remember years ago seeing a film called The Man Who Saw Tomorrow, which was narrated by Orson Welles. I'm not buying Nostradamus, David, to be honest. It's a bit of a myth, I believe, but, but maybe I'm wrong. It is 18 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Gary says, let's have a show on the linguistic and neuro-linguistic manipulation on what anti-Semitic actually means and what the concept tries to do. Wonderful. Mark says, I was blocked by you, Richie, on Twitter, and I didn't even tweet you, he says. Do you know what that probably was, Mark? Every now and then on Twitter, you might have seen this, you'll get followed by a brand new account. Brand new, right? And it will be brand new, as in the account will have just been launched. And I imagine those are bot accounts. So I immediately block them. You know, there'll usually be an account with a weird name, like it won't be the name of a person, a weird name with lots and lots of numbers and a silly avatar. When I see that, I just block straight away. So apologies, pal. If um, you used a, you know, a picture or something, maybe I would have um, 
I wouldn't have blocked it. Gav says, been listening to talk stations from around the world, Richie. He says, fook me. They have some real free speech out there. Uh, the UK is becoming more like North Korea in comparison, or by comparison. And hi to Alexandra. Hi, Alexandra. Uh, really appreciate your lovely comments. Thank you very much. Listen, I'm going to take my leave of you now. I'm going to take an early bath, uh, 15 minutes early, because my voice is going. You might know this if you listen regularly. I've been struggling for weeks with a bloody head cold, and it is impacting on my vocal uh, cords and my vocal ability. So I'm going to take a bit of an early bath. I've done enough this week, to be honest. The Papers podcast will be online tomorrow early around about 7 o'clock, as I've already said. So do download it and listen to it if you like. The Sunday Morning Melodies programme will be live at 10 o'clock this coming Sunday morning. It's uh, between 10 and noon Sunday Morning Melodies with me, Richie Allen. Um, It's a lovely programme. I really like it. So until then, thank you to Ben Gilroy for being on the programme today. Thanks to you for listening. It's been an interesting chat again today. I'm closing out with this from KISS. Until tomorrow and then until Sunday from your BBG, it's bye for now. Bye now.